Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Glossy Beauty Podcast. I'm your host for today, Emma Sandler, Senior Beauty and Wellness Reporter. Today, we're welcoming Tim Coolahan, CEO of Milk Makeup. Milk Makeup was born out of Milk Studios and represents an edgier side of beauty with products like Kush Mascara and famously oil blotting sheets that doubled as rolling papers. Tim, I think the biggest and latest news from Milk is that it was acquired by Waldencast as part of a special purpose acquisition company, also called a SPAC. What has been the impact of this exit for Milk and what does it mean moving forward? Thank you, Emma. It's really nice to be here. So we're really excited about the partnership with Waldencast, which we expect to close in the first half of 2022. If we take a step back, the vision for Milk Makeup has always been to create a global movement around this next generation idea of beauty, which is rooted in our core values of inclusion, diversity, self-expression, creativity. And that very much aligns with Waldencast's vision, which is to create a next generation beauty company and a beauty company that brings together and serves as a platform for conscious purpose-driven brands. So we believe that it's gonna allow us to realize our dream and, and bring the Milk Makeup vision global by tapping into an ecosystem that very much lets us stay true to our values and while giving us access to great um, host of expert resource. Tell me more. What is that vision for Milk Makeup? You know, what are, tell me more about that journey that you guys have had bringing you all the way to today. So Milk Makeup started really with an objective of broadening and challenging the definition of beauty. And the founders talk about it as not really a business or a a movement that's rooted in those core values of inclusion, diversity, creativity, self-expression. And it's then brought to life through products that are effective, easy to use, vegan, clean, and cruelty-free. So it was really born out of Milk Studios and a desire to represent and connect with the community that that was within that um, studio environment. And it's been an amazing six years, you know, with, phenomenal community support. We have a very, very strong relationship with our community and a lot of really exciting um, kind of blockbuster launches that have turned into enduring hero products, like you mentioned Kush and also Hydro. So when it comes to something like the SPAC acquisition, I wonder, do you think of things in terms of a larger context? You know, this isn't just impactful for milk, but maybe it's impactful for the industry. I'm not sure if that's something that you really cognizantly think about on a day-to-day basis. We do. I mean, we we think what's really exciting about Waldencast is that it creates this different exit opportunity for independent brands. It's an opportunity to fundamentally stay true to your values and to continue to grow in a way that's very much in line with how you started on some level. But oftentimes for independent brands, the challenge is how do you access the resources and the expertise to really scale globally? And that's what the objective of that of the Waldencast platform is, is to create an opportunity for independent brands to scale while staying completely true to themselves. So I do think it's a potentially game-changing approach in the industry. Give us a little bit of a picture in terms of where milk makeup is today, because you mentioned that larger, more international expansion. I'm not sure what other markets you're in presently. So we're present in North America with Sephora. We're present uh, across Europe as well with Sephora. And we're in more recently in Australia and New Zealand. So we're in actually present in just over 20 countries today. And we have our own website, milkmakeup.com. Notably Canada, where you're from. <laughs> Notably Canada. Absolutely. 
So when it comes to Sephora as well, is expanding outside of Sephora within the U.S. and North American market part of the long-term plan or vision? I'm very curious to hear more about that. We have a great partnership with Sephora and Milk Studios really went to Sephora with a vision for Milk Makeup that Sephora very much bought into and helped us to bring to life. So we have, you know, our partnership is very strong and it's going to continue. We think that we have a lot of opportunity together to grow. Something else that is a recent news item from Milk is that there've been a couple of recent product launches, including a new mascara, and there's going to be some upcoming launches as well. My understanding is that this is part of a larger long-term strategy to appeal to a broader consumer base. Of course, correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm interested in hearing more about this strategy. Yeah, no, it's a great question. Um, You know, our products are actually not developed for a specific age. So when when our teams approach product development, they very much look at it from the perspective of what is the market missing, first of all. Um, you know, Diana Ruth, who's the co-founder and, and the head of innovation at Milk Makeup, always looks for those kind of white spaces. And then the objective is to come up with something that's breakthrough um, and that really works, is easy to use, and is vegan, clean, and cruelty-free. So the fundamental point of view of the products is not oriented to any specific age demographic. Um, and what we're trying to do is really bring the products to life in a way where we can connect with the broadest possible community of people who share our values as a brand and who are interested in these types of products that really work and are vegan, clean, and cruelty-free. And so to your point, some of the recent launches that we've that we've been coming out with are in categories that have broader penetration footprints because it just allows us to connect with a larger community. The mascara is a good example of that. Personally, I kind of, like, I don't, like, I understand, like, you don't, make products for a specific consumer like demo or bracket. But I think it's like, how does any brand manage to be like everything for everyone? Because there's obviously going to be people like who are like, you know what, don't want this or like, yes, I want everything. So I feel like it's this interesting conundrum that all brands face. You can't be everyone's favorite. Yeah, I agree. I mean, the brands that I look at as North Stars are brands like Nike and Apple, which is not a very original thing to say, but I do think that when you talk about, so we talk internally a lot about trying to be like the Air Jordans of of beauty, you know, in the sense that you have with the drops and with the collabs and with all of the different, you know, color schemes, you you have Air Jordans that are, you know, that sneakerheads will line up around the corner to get. And at the same time, a lot of soccer moms and soccer dads are wearing Air Jordans. You know, it's a, it's just one of those, it and the business. Air Jordan is, you know, a $5 billion a year business. And like Nike as a brand, I think does it really well. They manage to, they, they, they talk about performance, but in a context that is democratized. So they, they have LeBron James, but they have the everyday athlete as well. And I think that as a, as a brand, if you, my feeling is that, and I mean, I could have articulated this better, but if you have a really clear mission and vision for your brand, and you have a really clear sense of self, then the way that you bring it to life, as long as that is kind of a unique point of view, and I think Milk does have a really unique point of view, you can bring it to life in a way where it connects with different audiences and can create fans that are not not based on traditional, um, you know, not based on the traditional demographics. It's much more kind of psychographically driven. So I do think that 
I do think that a brand can have a broader footprint than what we've historically looked at in, in beauty, where it was very much, you know, how do you, how do you, so we don't want milk to be just a Gen Z brand because our mm-hmm. products are not just Gen Z products and our mm-hmm. values are not just Gen Z values. But what's interesting about that next generation um, is that they are the ones who are the spearhead for bringing those values to the broader community. So, you know, clean makeup five years ago or six years ago when milk launch was not a big thing. I was at L'Oreal and they were talking nobody was talking about clean in the context of makeup. And today it's one of the biggest conversations. And that's because there was that, that early adopter generation of kind of primarily Gen Z who said, this is something that we want and that we're, and, and this is going to be part of our purchase criteria. And, and now it's something that is, you know, you have brands like Ilya that have a really broad spectrum of, of consumers and who are really driven by their kind of clean positioning. So I guess I think that it comes down to having you know, clear vision, clear values, and then the ability to manifest the brand in a way where those things are portrayed in a relevant manner. So for us, we, what's interesting for us is we, we've started to really broaden. If we look at the PR um, strategy, we've started to really broaden our touch points on milk makeup. Historically, we were doing, historically, we were not doing a lot of work with the kind of traditional beauty publications. And we were, you know, we had a really strong relationship with kind of the smaller, smaller publications. And what we saw is we started to, that's super important to us. But as we started to kind of branch out, we have, we had a press event for our mascara. There were 70 um, people there. So there's a, I think there's an appetite for the fundamental values around creativity, self-expression, diversity, inclusion, and then these products that are effective and clean. And so we, we think that we can kind of have it all as long as we really do stay true to ourselves. I think the danger is when brands start to try to pander to audiences and they like, they flex their DNA in order to, in order to get that, in order to try to go out and get every consumer. We're not trying to get every consumer. We just want, we just believe that the values and the products are designed, the, the values that we have and the products that we design are not only going to resonate with that younger demo. I wonder, you know, how does a brand like Milk Makeup, which, you know, has this very distinct point of view, it has a certain edginess to it, it always has. How do you sort of make the brand appeal to a very wide group of people while still remaining true and authentic to the brand's origin and point of view? It's a great question. For us, it's not about changing our point of view or it's or evolving really anything about that uh, that point of view in a way that would would shift it from its core values. It's really about bringing the brand to life in different channels and in ways where we can connect the brand through the products to to a broader community. So we feel that our our core values of creativity, self expression, diversity, and inclusion, and then our product ethos of effective, easy to use, and vegan, clean, and cruelty free are age agnostic. Um, historically, they do, we do have that immediate connection, that strong connection with that younger demographic also because those are the, um, that's the community that is more naturally exposed to the brand as we're growing up. And as we have more tools to reach a broader audience, we think that that message will connect with, you know, people across the beauty spectrum. When you say tools, what do you refer to? Well, milk very much started out as I think, all or most indie brands do um, in purely organic channels. So 
it was very much um, built through events, um, through social media, and those continue to be really important parts of how we connect with our community. But we now have new um, capabilities in the paid media space that allow us to go broader than we historically were able to. So what's your opinion on milk makeup collaborations? I know there was a 2018 collab with the Wu-Tang Clan, but I haven't seen anything since. You're going to see some stuff this year. So creative collaboration is fundamental to milk studios and also to milk makeup. But we are very um, careful about who we collaborate with because we want to make sure that when we do it, it's really a genuine representation of our values and that we're, we're also using our platform to amplify um, somebody who shares those values. So you're going to see some really exciting collaborations coming up in uh, the second half of the year. I can't Can say more yet, but... Bit... Oh, you can't say more. You're killing me. <laughs> I'm sorry. Can you... It's going to be this year though, correct? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You're see... Okay. You're going to see... Uh, you're going to see a few collaborations this year. A few can... collaborations. A few collaborations. Is that going to be part of like a baked-in strategy or is this really just a one-off for this year? No, it is part of the strategy. It's very much about bringing the brand to life you know, connected, connecting through our values to like-minded individuals or, or brands, and then coming up with a, a creative expression together. I can tell you that we are going to, one exciting piece of information is that we're going to launch a merch collab with Joe Perez. And so that's started to be seeded a little bit, but it's going to come a little bit later in the year. And then there are going to be other collaborations in the in the fashion space and eventually potentially in the beauty space. Yeah. When I sat down with Rossi, we were basically looking at if we think about how we manifest the brand and what are the different kind of registers that we would have. So there's definitely that core community of milk and milk studios fans and people that have know the studios love the milk makeup brand and are kind of, you know, have been with us for a long time and are kind of, you know, are, are, are the core of our community, I guess. And for them, we're looking at how do we bring those core values and that New York spirit to life in a way that might just be a, a scarcity play. It might be something where it's a collaboration with a local um, artist, a local designer, um, somebody who has really shared values in a deep relationship with the brand. And we might produce that in very limited quantities. And a different type of collaboration could see us go for much broader awareness, much bigger reach, again, in a, with a brand that shares our values, but maybe has a much bigger platform, maybe even a global reach. So so we're looking at things on that register of, you know, scarcity to scale and low awareness to high awareness. And then how do we do it in a way that's very genuine to us? Like a lot of, a lot of the approach to collaboration is who are friends of people within the brand who are doing things that we're kind of geeking out about and how do we connect and do something together that might really excite our community and also, you know, selfishly be really exciting for us. And that's where you get this spectrum of possibility that opens up that can be within beauty, but also outside of beauty. That's amazing. I'm going to hold on to this recording so I can mention all of this when we talk next. And then I'll be like, so you were talking about, you know, the hierarchy of the brand and thinking about X, Y, and Z. Um, so I think that question, but I do think that that core question you kept coming back on is, is really in a way, even you know, why did we partner with Waldencast? It was also because when you're an independent brand and you have a really sharp point of view, the way that Milk Makeup does, 
but you believe that your values and you believe that your products can have global appeal and that you can actually, you know, through that become a very big brand, the question becomes, how do you operationalize that vision? And that's what was interesting about Waldencast is that they really share our values. They really share our vision. We are a makeup and beauty brand for the next generation. And they Mm -hmm. want to be a a beauty platform that Mm -hmm. has all of the advantages of a scaled legacy company, but with all of the elements of a 21st century um, business engineered into it. And so there was this really natural fit and alignment and Michelle and Hind who are co-founders there are people that I that I know and I had worked with before so there was a foundation of trust and there was a shared vision and there were shared values around this objective of creating a next generation beauty brand and a next generation beauty company yeah I can totally see that I, I spoke with Hind before when she helped launch Wind and I, she was telling me about Walden Cass, and I, I completely understand what you're saying about wanting to build the next generation of beauty brands within their portfolio. So I think milk makeup is in many ways the sort of gem of the makeup section because you do have such a strong point of view. You've had a very interesting history. There's a really unique founding story as well. The fact that it was born out of milk studios. It was very, not trend driven, but it was very trendy. It started its own trend, if you will. Um, And so it's, I think it'll be really exciting to see what Waldencast does next and to see how and where milk makeup kind of ends up in terms of its next phase or its, um, you know, second part of its life cycle, especially as you start to translate this story internationally. Yeah, and I think you touched on something interesting. Milk Studios was became or started its own trend because it wasn't trying to be trendy. And in a way, that's been a big part of the company, whether it was Milk Studios or Milk Makeup. And that's also, I think, what Waldencast is trying to do. It's just about having its own point of view that's rooted in its own beliefs and its own vision, and then trying to bring that to life and the history with milk studios is that that doing that became made it kind of trendy. And with milk makeup, when you talk about the sharp point of view and that it's a little bit edgy and that is really just because the, the founders and the teams were always trying to execute against what they believed should be done. And I think that's fundamentally important. If you, to go back to your question of how do you, how can you have broad appeal and still have a sharp point of view I think it's about being unwavering in what your point of view is, but then believing that those values can be shared by a broad group of people, even if it's not everybody. You know, I, I fully agree with you that nobody is going to appeal to everybody. And the da- and there's a big danger in trying to do that. But if you're true to what you believe and you execute against that in kind of a, a faithful way where your values and your DNA are really brought to life, then I do think that you can have broad appeal and still keep your sharp point of view. Yeah. And that's like the essence of being like a cool brand or like a cool person, right? Like what you're saying is didn't seek to be a trendy or trend 
brand, but it was doing its own thing. It had its own strong, unique point of view and was authentic to itself. And then it became a trend because people want to be cool and do cool things and have cool stuff. So it's like, hey, that's an interesting brand. I want to be a part of it. And there, that's how trend is born. Yeah. And I think I think that today, maybe more than ever, or maybe always, people have a really clear kind of radar for what is genuine and what's not. And in today's environment, we're so inundated with brands and messages. And um, so I think people are able to see immediately what is really out there that is honest in its point of view. And they can also dig a lot more than they used to be able to as well. So you, you sort of have to be true and, you know, live in your integrity and, and execute against your integrity in everything you do, because otherwise in today's landscape, people can really understand whether something is just you trying to be trendy or whether it's you acting in a certain way because you really believe that and because you really are that. To your point, you don't and can't just pander to everyone because that's like the downfall of anything or anyone is when you start to pander because it just yeah. doesn't mean anything. Absolutely. And nobody wants to be part of something that is 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 pandering. You want to be part of something because it's exciting and it's inspiring and it aligns with your values and it's, you know, it's genuine in its intent. And I think that's what what we try to do every day is we try to bring to life what we believe and we kind of put it out there into the universe. And what's interesting today is that we do have more platforms that we can use to connect those beliefs with new audiences, whether it's mm -hmm. in different platforms in terms of you know, social media channels or, or is it, or if it's in different countries. And that's been an exciting shift in the way in milk makeups kind of trajectory is when we went from being an American brand to a North American brand and then to an international brand. And we're still on that, on that journey of, of internationalization. We'll be right back after this message. When you mentioned bringing the brand to life, I am interested in hearing about whether it's related to the collaboration specifically or not, your kind of thoughts on what it means to bring a brand to life, because there's so much noise now, whether it's TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, Discord, Reddit, et cetera, et cetera. And I wonder like when you think about how to really make a brand stand out, what you're kind of looking at that's interesting to you or what you've seen that you think is tired and, and done with? That's a great question. I mean, for us, it's always about going back to our core values. Why do we exist? Who do we exist for? And then how do we connect with them? And I think one of the things that the team have always done really well at Milk is be very fast to move into new spaces where they can connect with their community in a very genuine way. You talked about TikTok. TikTok was a good example of that and is a good example of that. We exist as a, at a corporate level, or I guess at a company level as, as Milk is a creative platform for self-expression for the next generation. And Milk Makeup is very much about that as well. It's you know, we exist to serve our community with products that are effective, easy to use and vegan, clean and cruelty free so that we can be a, a part in helping them to express themselves, what we call live your look. So when we think about how do we bring the brand to life, it's very much through, through that lens. 
the lens of how are we as a brand connecting with our community in a way where we're supporting their creativity, supporting their self-expression and doing it and showing how our products are a part of that journey. And then when it comes to the, the medium that we're doing it in, we're pretty, um, you know, we're, we're pretty open. We did some big, we think impactful outdoor campaigns where above uh, we're in Times Square above Sephora right now in video format. We're really active in places like TikTok. Um, and we were early to move into that channel. Um, but we will go anywhere where our community is and where we can play that role of, of helping them to, to live their look. So in what ways does Milk try to stay connected to its consumers? What does connection and community actually look like in a tangible sense for Milk? I mean, we are, we're connected 24-7 because we're really a brand that is that operates in the social landscape. I mean, our, our biggest and really for a long time, our only media platform was through, the, through social media. And so we're constantly putting out content. We're constantly getting feedback on that content. And also our teams are, are always on connected. So there's a, lot of, there's a lot of output and there's a lot of input coming from the community. Um, we're very fortunate in that we have a really robust um, community of people who, who we work with on a regular basis, whether it's creative partners um, or whether it's, you know, if it's influencers. And so we also get a lot of community uh, feedback that comes in that way. So it's a, it's a constant exchange. It's a constant loop. Um, that, and the, pri- the primary vehicle is social media, but there's also a lot of one-to-one interaction. When you say one-to-one interaction, is that, you know, in a store or, or what does that look like? Well, we have a really robust education and training relationship with Sephora. So we do, we're, we're fortunate in that we have the opportunity to exchange in a group setting with a lot of their BAs. And so we get great feedback there. And Sephora have been a fantastic partner in giving us very robust, both data and qualitative feedback um, that helps us as a brand to see how we need to how we need to bring ourselves to life to, to use that expression again in a way that's going to connect with their community. Um, so, and it also is just having people into the office and who are fans of the brand or partners of the brand and getting their input on, on what we're doing. What does the TikTok approach look like for milk makeup? I, how do you translate the brand's ethos, values, you know, who you're speaking to, into the content and videos that you post on TikTok or the people you work with on that platform? Our approach to TikTok has really largely been organic. And the initial the initial move into TikTok was just about playing, experimenting, seeing what connected, what entertained, and what could convey some valuable piece of information about the product. Or sometimes it was just ASMR. And we got into TikTok in February of 2020, and I think very soon thereafter, people were spending a lot of time at home in front of their screens, and a lot of the content that was connecting was very much was very much ASMR, and it was just about giving people something, a small bit of positivity, and it conveyed a little bit about our products, but it was just an engaging piece of positive content, and that's evolved. Um, a lot over the last two years, we use TikTok very much as an education platform. We still use it, obviously, as an entertainment platform. And our approach is to go in and try to be creative and to experiment and test and learn and see what works. But it's a very, very dynamic environment. And we also use it as a place where we can amplify the, the, the voices of our partners in that, in that space. 
you know, give give visibility to to people who are genuine fans of of the brand and of the products. What type of things do you think your consumer base is interested in seeing and hearing from milk, given that it is that 24-hour conversation and connection? Well, we think it's a balance of you know product information and sort of the the essentials of what is it, how do I use it, um, how do I combine it with everything else. Um, but also just what is the point of view of the brand and where are we on, on issues like sustainability? Where are we from a formulation standpoint? Um, they want us, and they want to see us amplifying the voices of members of the community. So we have, you know, a lot of UGC that we put out as well. So it's a combination of the point of view of the brand in, in sort of an absolute sense, us as a brand, us as a community. And then also we do a lot of uh, product storytelling in as well. Yeah. Now switching gears a little bit, because as you mentioned, things are starting to open back up. Makeup approaches are are changing, but I'm interested in hearing from you as a leader of this company, what the biggest lessons you have learned over the past year or so. It's a great question. I think the first lesson is really around agility. And I think that beauty was a was an industry that to some extent was had pretty established playbooks. And the landscape has changed so quickly and so fundamentally over the last few years, and it continues to do so, that going back and constantly asking yourself whether your strategies are right um, is very important. And I think that in some ways, those North Star values and those North Star objectives, like for us being that, that beauty brand of the next generation and our core values, those remain unchanged, but how we connect that to what we're doing day to day is something that we're constantly revisiting. So the agility is, I would say, more important than ever. And then the second thing is really listening to our teams and having empathy for what we're all going through right now, because the world is changing really quickly. And there are a lot of different external influences. And at the same time, when you're running a a brand and a business, you have to you know, every day you have to come and especially in a little brand like ours or an indie brand like ours, you have to make an impact. And, but you're, but as a team, we have to show up for each other and listen to what we're going through and have empathy for what everybody's going through so that we can kind of come together and, 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 and be as strong a community inside the offices as possible. Yeah. Yeah. When it comes to agility, do you think that is a quality that can be learned or do you think it's innate and it's just really kind of almost like intuition you're born with agility versus learning it i think it's something that you have to work hard to to maintain you know the environment is getting increasingly complex and so there's more work to do there's not necessarily more resource and and so in order to stay agile in that type of an environment you have to make pretty strong choices and really have to ensure that as a team, you're coming together in the most efficient way in order to move forward as quickly as possible, especially in our case, we're, we're a brand that is never going to have the most money. So we have to be, there's a real premium on speed and there's a premium on coming up with something that nobody else is doing so that we can stand out and be first. Yeah, absolutely. So what does the rest of 2022 look like for Milk? You, of course, mentioned that there's some interesting collaborations coming up. We're looking forward to the closing of the acquisition with Walden Cast. You just launched a new mascara, but fill me in. What are the other things that we can look forward to? 
2022 is off to a great start. You know, um, we're gonna you're gonna continue to see us storytell and animate around some of our hero franchises like Hydro Grip uh, Primer, Flip and Cheek, Kush Mascara. We have great launches. You you mentioned the mascara, and we have some really fen- phenomenal extensions under our Bionic franchise. And you're gonna see that consistently from us over the year. So we're gonna continue to have very big, exciting launches in big categories. At the same time, as always with Milk, we're gonna try and surprise and delight and come up with some things in in maybe some more trend-led categories. We have the collaborations and you're also gonna see us continue to expand internationally. Mm, Any particular markets that you're going to be going into first? I can't tell you yet, you'll have to wait and see. (sighs) You're always keeping me on my toes, Tim. Well, nonetheless, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for joining us today. And I look forward to seeing what Milk comes up with next. Thank you so much for having me. Have a great day. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Glossy Beauty Podcast. Tune in next week for another episode. And of course, if you haven't already subscribed, please hit that button.